right, well, happy Hallmark. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Sorry, whoops. Oh, man. Uh, we have, so we have a little Valentine's thing we want to do today. Now, in the 9 o'clock hour, this surprised them, but in this, it's not going to surprise them. Oh, there you guys are. So I'm going to have Logan and Courtney come up. Um, some of you guys may know Logan has been around since we launched the church almost four years ago now, and uh, we're all getting to know Courtney um, a little bit here. So these two guys um, got married um, a month ago. So, awesome. And I'm not going to leave him up here too much longer because this is killing both of them <laughs> to have to do this. Um, but anyways, so we, we did a little thing here between services and uh, had a little celebration for him and there's still some more uh, sugar out there. By the way, the message is really boring, so if you need some sugar, you may want to go grab some. I don't want you sleeping. Um, but anyways, we just want to show them our love as a church family and appreciate them being a part of our church family. Um, be able to encourage them as they take this big step um, in their lives, marriage. And, you know, we get to hear a little bit at the men's Bible study, Logan tends, and uh, so he keeps asking for prayer. Um, so keep, <laughs> keep going, Courtney. Keep going, man. Way to go. We'll get, we'll get them all figured out. We got you. We're behind you. But I'll have to go ahead and just pray for these guys, and uh, then we'll get into the message. But Lord, again, we want to thank you for Logan and Courtney. We thank them. Uh, thank you, Lord, for, first of all, their, um, their relationship with you, that they've both placed their faith in Christ, and they know that they have you in their lives and um, there to provide and protect and, and fight for them and encourage them. <clears throat> and then now together as a married couple, Lord, they can work together, walk through life together, um, get to know you together as a couple. And we ask that uh, as they go forward and as they face the, the, the stress and strain of life, because life is hard, it doesn't get any easier when you're married. Uh, but Lord, they would see those times as an opportunity for them to join together before you and, and work through those things, and they would be um, the things that cause them to become tougher and stronger and more dependent on you. Um, Father, we pray for your blessing on them. We pray that as a church family that we would come around them and encourage them and um, be good examples in our marriages, and then also to give wise advice as they uh, ask and as we uh, speak into their lives. Again, Lord, thanks for them. We love them. Ask for your blessing on them in Christ's name. Amen. And thanks, guys. Appreciate that. <laughs> so it is, it is Valentine's Day. I have to um, admit something. I uh, found out something. So Kim and I are going to be married 29 years uh, on Easter this year, April 4th. <clears throat> and so I've always thought that Kim agreed with me that Valentine's Day is a Hallmark Day. And so you don't have to do anything for Valentine's Day because it's Hallmark trying to get your money. So we were going to uh, Menards the other day, and we were talking about the kitchen and you know, what I'm doing in the kitchen and how I'm going to be you know, fixing up the kitchen. And, and I said, you know, I'm just really, I don't know how we got on the top, topic, but I just said, you know, I'm really glad that um, you know, you're not really big in the whole Valentine's thing and I got to come up with a gift for you, you know, cards and that kind of stuff. And she goes, well, I'm... I mean, I mean, it's not like I don't like it. And I'm like, what? You know, put the brakes on. Cars were slamming up behind me. Wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me for 28 years I've manipulated you into thinking that Valentine's wasn't important? 
Well, no, I'm just saying that. I mean, I, I have some of the cards that you've given me. I haven't given her cards since we were engaged. I mean, this is like, those things are probably falling apart because I thought I had. So anyways, I, I got one of those uh, stickers. <laughs> so we're going to make that. Uh, <laughs> here, baby. So, yeah, I can give her a cupcake. Actually, she's got me. That's, a, that's sweet enough. Anyway. Anyways, I wore a red shirt today. Does that uh, no? So, anyways, um, boy, it's a good thing I can make her house look however she wants it. You know, I get out, that's how I get out of this. Um, I have another funny story, but I won't tell you. This is, um, no, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll try not. I'll, <clears throat> I'll try not to take up. I'll work through a message fast. But this is kind of funny. So, Logan, Logan knows that he skedaddled out to get some. Skedaddled. What kind of word is that? Anyways, <laughs> so we're doing. Our, we, we're redoing our kitchen. It's taking a while to do it. Things going on in life. Kim's fine with that. Uh, so I put a little. <laughs> I put a little shelf above the the kitchen window, and really I did it to cover up some mistakes I made. But whatever the case, it looks cute up there, right? And so I said, hey, do you want it to be the kind of the yellowish color of the wall, because there's some of that, or do you want it the white of the trim? So yesterday, you know, we're talking about that, and so several times throughout the day it changed. You know, yeah, I want yellow, now let's go with white, and now let's go with yellow, and now let's go with white. Let's go with yellow. So I get up at, uh, at uh, 5.30 this morning, <clears throat> sit down at the dining room table, have my computer out, I'm kind of looking through my, my notes, and um, got my coffee. And so the Kim sits down, and she's got her coffee, and I'm, you know, I'm just kind of working through my notes. We're not really talking. And she goes, no, no, yellow, yellow. What? Yellow? The shelf. The shelf. I think it should be yellow. I'm like, okay. It's 5.30 in the morning. I'm trying to work on my message and eat breakfast, and you're bringing up yesterday's conversation. What do you think I am? Anyways, she's not in here, right? Like, it's good. Thanks. Anyways, go ahead and turn to Ruth, uh, chapter 3, page 280, if you're using the Bible there. And uh, uh, yeah, this is why Kim is awesome. She's, she gets to be married to me, poor girl. But um, talking about love, and we're looking really at God's love for us. We're going to wrap it up today um, and see how God, God's love worked not only in Ruth and Boaz and Naomi's life, but also how that kind of flows out to us today. It's, it's interesting um, how this all plays out. Over the last couple of weeks, we've uh, learned a couple of things. There's a big truth in Ruth. And so for those that uh, may have missed a week or two, uh, the big truth here is that God works through godly people to bring about his plans. He doesn't, you know, we have miracles in the Bible and periodically God will suspend natural law and do something and wow, cool, that's awesome and make sure his plan works out. But primarily... He works through godly people making godly choices, and through those people, he works out his plan, whatever that plan might be. We learned in the first week that other people's choices can ruin us. We know that we can make choices that ruin us, right? But we also can be in situations where other people's decisions impact us negatively, ruin us, like Naomi's situation. But that doesn't give us reason to not move forward and, and not allow God to be working. And so godly people make godly choices, and those godly choices will restore us. 
But God will begin to work and, uh, and move, and, and he will be able to, if nothing else, he's going to make us um, closer to him, grow spiritually through the situation, know a little bit better about the person or people or situations that might be bothering us. Whatever the case, God's going to bless through that and, and use it for our good. We let godly people do the hard work of obeying God. I'm telling you guys, this comes up every single day of my life. Not only in my life, but when I hear from people. We've got to understand something. We talk about this in men's Bible study Thursday night. We are totally depraved as human beings. And, and what that means is that we, in and of ourselves, have absolutely nothing good within us. And we have to grab hold of this truth. Because if we think there's just something good in us, we're going to start making choices based off of what we think our wisdom is, and then we're going to continue to make our lives a mess. It's only when we realize that we are totally depraved. There's nothing good within us. And if we want to start thinking the way we think, we're going to end up messing up everything in our lives. And it's only when we think the way God thinks, the way Christ thinks, the way the Bible lays out for us, which is very, very different than the way the world thinks. Completely different than the world thinks. Completely different than when we think it should be. When you talk about marriage, when you talk about work stuff, when you talk about finances, when you, when you talk about just who we are as individuals and dealing with you know, issues like depression and just stuff like that. What God's Word says about all that is so much different than what we think. And, and we need to grab hold of that. Godly, godly people do the hard work of obeying God, even if it looks crazy to everybody else. And godly people do the hard work of helping others. One of the great things um, about God's economy, the way God works, is that even if we're going through a difficult time, even if we're having frustration and irritation, we've been hurt, or whatever the case, if we will reach out to other people, it's part of our healing. It's part of our growth process. It's part of what's going to help us to see God restore whatever's going on in our lives. And then the last thing we're going to talk about today is godly choices brings God's blessings. When we make godly choices, he's going to bring blessing into our lives, the blessing that we need to have in order to move forward. So I'm going to read a few verses here in chapter 3, and then later on, if I remember, I'm going to read some verses in chapter 4. Uh, thankful having Brian on the computer, he kept me square during the 9 o'clock hour. Got a little worked up, and I forgot the verses. But anyways, so Naomi, her being Ruth, so Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were? And yes, that's who he is. Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Anybody get done some winnowing? Yesterday, Yesterday Bill got some winnowing done. Um, it's kind of a fun word to say. Winnowing. Willie winnowing. William winnowing. Willie's willing, winning. Anyways, he shows, sorry. I didn't even have any cupcakes. I don't know what's going on. Anyways, so wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. Naomi, what in the world are you telling her to do? But do not make yourself known to the man, Boaz, until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, all that you say I will do. 
So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. This is crazy. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. It happened in the middle of the night, so <laughs> I don't know about you, but you touch my feet, I'm awake. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what this guy... What? In the middle of the night? The guy's been asleep for a while. In the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was laying at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. You don't think they were yelling that, right? I mean, this is nighttime, and there's people sleeping around the field protecting the grain. So it's, shh. Again, you got to read the story as if it's happening. You know, and some of us guys, we know what it's like to have our wives lay down at the feet of, oh, what am I saying? <laughs> Get myself and even, I mean, isn't that what godly women do, right? Come on, man, that's what happens. Anyways, I'm kidding. If this is your first time with us, I really apologize. I'm really, I'm really not this way. I'm very respectful. So before we get into how godly choices bring about God's blessing, I need to kind of fill you guys in on a few things. Now, some of you guys understand some of this. Some of you guys may not have you know, been in church a whole lot. Um, and so some of this stuff sounds kind of weird and strange. And, and in our culture, it is weird and strange, but it wasn't necessarily weird and strange back then. First thing is this, arranged marriages. Really, ever since God created the earth, up until about... Uh, late 1800s, and even still happening today in some parts of the world, marriages are arranged by parents. That's shocking. Some of, you young, yeah, some of the younger kids are like, my mom wanted me to marry one of the girls in my home church, and I, I didn't want to. And uh, <laughs> so, good friends. To this day, we're still good friends, but we both knew this wouldn't work, you know, for us to get married. Anyways, yeah, so that's what happened. So uh, the parents would get together, they would talk, say, hey, you have a son, you have a daughter, and let's, let's kind of work this out, and let's see if our kids could get... It was only, like, courting only started happening, as far as I could tell, like, into the, you know, 1800s and that kind of stuff, but they still, still had to come over to the girl's house so that the parents could check the guy out, make sure, is this really who I want marrying my daughter. And it was only really till the 1920s where this idea of dating started happening. So for those of you who think dating's been around since the beginning of time, eh, that's just something really new that's happening. So how does this arranged marriage thing, how can that even work? So here's Naomi, the mother, mother-in-law. She's responsible to find a husband for Ruth. But how can that work? Well, here's how it works. And I'll try not to... I went a little long during the 9 o'clock hour because I'm kind of passionate about this stuff in spite of some of the comments I was making. Because with, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to this idea of love, love is not something we fall into. In spite of what the songs say, in spite of there's a Christian song that says we, it's like falling in love, talking about God, falling in love. It's not like falling in love. Just ask my kids, we've talked about this a lot. God never fell in love with us. 
God made a determined choice that in spite of who we are, the sinners that we are, that he was going to love us. And what he was going to do was make sure that he meets our needs in spite of what it cost him. And it cost him God the Son becoming flesh, dying a horrific death on the cross for every one of our sins. Your sin, my sin. That's love. And then God says, love, husbands, love your wives. There's no falling in love. You fall into something, you can jump out of it. That's not what marriage is. It doesn't even matter if two people who never knew each other, which happened a lot back in the day, it still happens in other places, two people coming together who don't even know each other, they can have a successful marriage based on love. Why? Because it's others-focused. It's me focusing on my wife, my wife focusing on me, and we taking care of business and, and working through the difficult times of life God's way. Fighting for it. Teaming up together. We're not going to let anything separate us. We're going to do life God's way. And so, Boaz and Ruth, this could work if they're willing to do it God's way. Again, godly choices look weird to the world around us. But it could, it could happen. Love is a verb. Love is an action. Love is a commitment. Just like what God showed us through Christ. What about this kinsman redeemer thing? Again, we don't really have this in our society, and our culture. This is something that, um, part of it was actually something that happened prior to the Jewish law, but they just kind of rolled it in. And so part of it deals with property. Part of it, part of it deals with um, if uh, the male of a family died and left a widow. So this is kind of how it plays out. <clears throat> if, uh, if a Jewish family found, found themselves poor, uh, the, and the husband was still alive, he could sell himself, he could sell his family, or he could sell his property. And the idea was he would sell them to the closest kin. And so then that person would buy the property or the family, or whatever the decision was in order to get the money they needed to provide. They would do that. And then the Bible talks about this year of Jubilee. And I'm not going to get into a whole detail of it, you can read about it. But every 50th year... Everything that was purchased by the kinsman redeemer went back to that original family. And so the person knew that if I'm, if I'm selling myself, if I'm selling my property, a generation, generation and a half, two generations, whatever 50 years would be, it'll come back to my family. And so it's just a protecting thing. And again, this has impact all the way out into the millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ returns. Okay, so it's, I mean, it's got some huge impact. Now, part of that was that was rolled into that is if a guy married a girl and then he died, then the widow would be, or the, the brother-in-law who was closest to him that wasn't married would have the responsibility of marrying the sister-in-law. And then they would have, whoever the first boy was, that boy would then become the heir of the original brother. That makes sense? You follow me? Any other children born that would become his heirs and that type of thing. And again, then they would have an heir to have somebody who would have their property and their possessions uh, moving forward. All right, does that make sense? Clear as mud? Okay, you can read up on it if I just completely confused you. The next thing is uh, this idea of um, Ruth's proposal. Now, Ruth's proposal is bold. Um, 
It's risky, not risque, it's risky. But there was nothing inappropriate in what she did. Okay? Uh, she was not motivated, motivated by some inappropriate desire. We've been told over and over and over again by the narrator of Ruth that these are two godly people. And so they wanted to do life God's way. They made the hard choices already to do life God's way. They're not going to mess this up by her somehow manipulating and, and that kind of thing. So you got Boaz and all of his servants. They're, they're spread around the field and they're protecting the grain at night. Again, this is a time where they had marauding groups of people going around trying to steal stuff and enemies of Israel showing up. And so they were going to protect it. So he went, like the other guys, and they went around and they laid outside by the barley. It says that Boaz's heart was merry. Now some people are taking this story, and this part of the story, and making it into something that's sordid. And you know, got this older guy who needs a wife and this younger uh, woman who wants some money, you know, type of thing. And she's going to seduce him and I'll get him when he's drunk, you know, all kinds of stuff. That's not what's happening here at all. He was merry. He was satisfied. He had a long day. Have you ever winnowed? Besides Bill, have you ever winnowed all day long? You know what I'm saying? I know Stan has thrown minnows. That's a little different. Um, yeah, so he was winning. He's tired. And then he gets together with all the servants and they have some dinner. And, you know, he was satisfied. He, he went to bed happy. He had all his barley. He could sell that for some money. It was, it was good. And then she came and came to, uh, to lay at his feet. The narrator tells us numerous times that this was at his feet. You know where the feet are, right? Bottom of the guy. She probably didn't put her face right next to his feet. I, mean, I think she was wise enough to know not to do that. So she probably laid perpendicular to him at his feet. She didn't lay on top of him. She didn't slide up alongside of him. This wasn't a seducing situation. This was her saying, hey, listen, I'm making myself available for marriage. She says, spread your garment over me. This is a Jewish figure of speech that if you look through the Old Testament, it happens numerous times. It has this idea of protect me, and in some cases has this idea of I'm open for marriage or I'm going to marry you. In fact, in some Jewish weddings and Hindu weddings, as I've been reading up on it, they still do this. At the wedding, the, the groom will put um, like a, a shawl or a blanket over uh, the bride, and it's signifying, I'm marrying you. I'm putting you under my protection, under my care. And so she was, she was basically doing something that that's kind of, maybe not exactly that thing, but something along those lines, and he understood what she was doing. In verse 10... <clears throat> Boaz says, you know, I would think that you would have looked for a younger guy, a younger, wealthier guy, or, or even a younger, poorer guy. What's he saying there? Boaz is saying here, I, I don't even, I, I'm not even going to open this door. Because from my perspective, even a poor young guy would be better than me. I'm old. Why would you want anything to do? So Boaz wasn't going to make this move on her. He wasn't going to say, hey, would you marry me? Because he was a godly man, a respectful man. He's thinking that she'd do a lot better with a younger guy, even if he was poorer. And she probably knew that about him. And so she said, no, listen, I'm, I want you to know that I'm available. I want, I'd like to marry you if you're open to that. 
And some scholars say, finish this up, that she came at night. Uh, because that way, if, if Boaz refused her, it was just between those two. And she, and she can go home and nobody would have to know. And we'll, I'll talk a little bit here uh, in a little bit why that's important. Uh, she was really looking out for his reputation. So what happens next? I'm not going to read these. I'm going to uh, rip through these in a summary fashion. So um, she, they, they go back to sleep. She gets up when it's still fairly dark, uh, so nobody sees her. He throws a bunch of barley um, for Naomi, which, guys, Valentine's, grab some barley. You know, it seems to work for Naomi. So, you know, chocolate-covered barley. Oh, yes. Anyways, so he hands that to her. She hauls that back to Naomi. And so then Boaz said, hey, listen, I'm going to do whatever I can do. There's another redeemer who's closer to you than I am, so, but I'll, I'm going to do whatever I can do. I'll give you my promise. Chapter 4, he goes to the city gate, because this is where he's going to have to do this uh, transaction. He's hanging out at the city gate. The guy who's closer to them than he is, he calls him over, calls over 10 elders. says, hey, listen, I got something here. FYI, uh, Naomi needs to sell her property, and so you're the next in line. Do you want it? He said, yes. I want it. He says, great, awesome. She's also got Ruth, her daughter-in-law, so you'll need to marry her too. This guy's like, I can't do that. It'll mess up my inheritance. The guy's probably married, so he's not going to take a second wife. And so he says, you know, actually, I don't, I don't want to do it. Uh, it's all yours. You can have a property. You can have Ruth. And he takes off his sandal and hands it to Boaz. Now, here's kind of a funny little thing you can impress your friends and family with. So back in Moses' day, in Deuteronomy 25, if that same situation were to happen, because it has to happen in front of the elders for him to refuse, they would allow, allow the daughter or the, the, um, the widow to grab that guy's sandal and smack him in the face, <laughs> saying, you're not fulfilling your responsibility. Isn't that awesome? Oh, man, I, just, I would love to sit around and see that happen. I'd just be... <laughs> Guy's got red marks all over his face. You know, I'm sure she's just like, wham, wham. Yeah, seriously. But by the time Judges comes around, it looks like they kind of backed off that a little bit, and so he just handled, handed the sandal to him. But if she had Ruth done that in front of everybody, that would have been, you know, it would have made Boaz look bad, and there was no need for that to happen. That's why she came at night. All right, so let's finish up the story and then get on with these blessings that come from, from God. So I'm going to jump over to chapter 4. We're going to finish out chapter 4. It says this, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. At this point, the lady's like, oh, it's so beautiful, right? And some of you guys are actually like, I'm not crying. I'm not crying. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. She uh, raised him as her own, because it's her son's, in that case, kinsman redeemer, it's her son's, her son's son. The neighbor women gave him a name, which is kind of unusual saying, a son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed, which I think means servant. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. 
Now, these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron. Hezron was born Ram. To Ram, Abinadab. To Abinadab was born Nation. Nation, uh, Salmon. And to Salmon was born Boaz. And to Boaz, Obed. To Obed was born Jesse. And to Jesse, David. I read all that because it's going to tie into what we're going to talk about here at the end. But what are some of the blessings from God? So I just kind of want to quickly run through just a couple different blessings for um, Naomi and for Boaz and Ruth. First one is this. So God's unseen plan for Naomi. If you remember back in chapter 1, verse 9, she was praying and saying, may God, which is a prayer, may God help you find rest in the home of your husband. So the cool thing was what God did is he, he, not, he didn't just answer that prayer by her having a husband. He answered that prayer literally by having her have a place in her husband's home because she married a relative. And in that sense, you know, it was like being in his home. It's kind of cool. And Naomi was the one who got to make that happen for her, which is kind of a neat, you know, neat thing, right? I think it is. You guys evidently know, but I think it is. In 120, she said, hey, don't call me... Naomi, anymore, don't call me pleasant, call me Mara or bitter, because my circumstances are terrible. God restored that. Her doing godly steps, God restores that, and now she's back to being pleasant. She's Naomi. She's not bitter or in bitter circumstances anymore. I don't think she's, again, people think she's bitter. I don't think she's bitter through this. I think she had bitter circumstances. And then last here, her family was given an heir for the future. It's awesome. That's huge. Again, we don't really understand all that. It's a huge in Israel that, that you have descendants, that you have an heir, that you have somebody who's going to... Property back then was life. If you didn't have property, you had nothing. And so God provided that for her. Then there's, there's Boaz, right? So God's unseen plan. Boaz... He's just doing life God's way. He's not, you know, he's not trying to manipulate things. He's just doing life God's way. And then God answered Boaz's prayer through Boaz. We talked about this, right? And sometimes we're praying for people. We, we need to stop and say, well, how should I meet that prayer request? So he provided the provision and protection for Ruth that he was saying, may God provide for you and may God bless you and all that and you know, so here's this, you know, old guy giving a faithful, loyal, hardworking, godly wife and a potential for his heir. Now, Obed goes with Naomi, right? So now he's the heir of whatever uh, Malon had. As far as we know, Boaz isn't married. As far as we know, Boaz, and again, I'm kind of reading into it here, but we don't, doesn't say he was married before, doesn't say he has kids. So what would have happened to his property? He would have had to find a kinsman redeemer for his property. But now he's got, I'm assuming they're going to have more kids. Again, I'm kind of throwing in some you know, assumptions. But you know what? he's going to have a son probably after Obed, and now he's going to have an heir, which is kind of a you know, nice thing. Thank you, Lord, for, for that. And you got Ruth. <clears throat> the unseen plan there, a non-Jewish widow, actually of an enemy nation, marries this godly man who greatly respects her. That's what she's looking at. She's going, this guy respects me. This guy cares about me. I don't care how old he is. This guy obviously loves me. He wants to take care of me. Look what else he's done for me. 
chapter 2. And then she's listed in the genealogies of King David and Jesus. Now, most of the genealogies in the Bible were called representative genealogies. What that means is that it's not like every single generation. They'll skip a generation or two or three or four, and you'll see that actually when we look into uh, even in this genealogy. So what they do is the, the narrator, the author, they'll put in the most significant people. And so what God wants us to know is that in his mind, Boaz and Ruth were two of the most significant people that we need to remember when it comes to who it was that brought about King David, Israel's greatest king, and Jesus Christ. It didn't stop with them. There was an unseen plan for Israel. So God ensured Israel's future through three not well-known people in a small town of Bethlehem, interesting connection, right, to Jesus, that were just doing life God's way. They weren't looking out to the future. They weren't saying, well, one of these days we're going to have a child who's going to be the king of Israel. They, they weren't even thinking about a king back then. There was a time of the judges. It was just them doing life God's way ensured that King David would come along. He and he did it in one of the most ungodly times of Israel's history. It's interesting because this uh, Ruth was written uh, most likely during David's reign, possibly at the beginning, early on. Samuel, who wrote First Samuel, never included a genealogy. And so most scholars believe that possibly even Solomon wrote Ruth. But what he's doing here is they're including the genealogy to confirm that David's lineage went back to Judah, the kingly tribe. And so David was the rightful heir, not Saul or any of his descendants. And so it became a huge thing for Israel to say, no, King David is ours. What do I got to do next? I keep doing it, I jump right, because I'm so excited to get the next one, I, I, I mess up. So let's tie it in to us. Because there's an unseen plan of God for us. If you go over to Matthew chapter 1, part of this genealogy is almost identical to the one that's in Ruth. Matthew goes from Abraham all the way to Jesus Christ. We're not going to read all of that. We're going to take some of these uh, verse 5 and 15 and 16, because again, a lot of names and it gets kind of crazy, but the point of the matter is here, Here's this connection that impacts us today. So Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Everybody remember Rahab? Israel goes into the land, Jericho. There's a prostitute in Jericho. She helps Israel. She says, I'll ask you to do, if I'm going to help you, I want to come under the authority of your God, and I want you to save me and my family. And she does. And she marries Solomon. So in the lineage of Jesus Christ is a former prostitute who put herself under the authority of God, had her life cleaned up. Married a guy, had a kid, at least one. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. Elihud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob, not, not the Jacob from Old Testament. But Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. 
God's unseen plan by three unassuming people who just wanted to do life God's way caused 3,100 years later for you and me to hear the message of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, that's mic drop time. Right? I mean, that's just... God cared that much. He, he sovereignly protected. Now, understand, God was going to have God the Son come, all right? And so if they didn't do it, somebody else would do it. But here's the deal. They were the ones who got to be a part of that. That's awesome, all right? Because when it comes right down to it, if we want to bring the New Testament back into the Old Testament, in a sense, we want to bring some um, application for what we're doing when it comes to with Ruth and how does that all work out? Ruth placed her faith in God to meet her physical needs. And he used a godly man named Boaz to make that happen. Every one of us, prior to putting our faith in Christ, so some of you here this morning may have never placed your faith in Christ. You are Ruth right now in a spiritual sense. Those of us who place our faith in Christ prior to that, we are like Ruth in a spiritual sense. We have a spiritual need that we can't provide for ourselves. And so Boaz was a kinsman and redeemer. He was, he was of the same nationality in that sense to be able to come in and make this happen. God the Son became flesh became man. He became our kinsman redeemer and came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died in our place so that we wouldn't have to die because of our sin. He made it possible for God to remove our sin and he provided salvation for us. All part of God's unseen plan. The unseen plan that has you and me sitting here today. And what are we going to do with that? Knowing that God sovereignly works in all this, what are we going to do with it? So let me just give you a couple takeaways. First of all, you're here this morning, and you're like, wow, this is kind of news to me. I've never, this whole relationship with God thing, and you know, maybe you've talked about it or heard about it, but you're not real certain. My challenge to you is that you would make the godly choice of accepting that offer of salvation that God offers you through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you, have you taken the time to consider what all it took for God the Son to become flesh, to live a perfect life, to die a horrific death on the cross, and then to rise from the dead? He did it all for you, for me. He did it so that our sins could be forgiven. Our, our need was that we needed to have our sins removed. It's more than barley, right? And that sin, if it stays there, if it's never removed, then we have to be disciplined for that. We have to be judged for that. And that judgment, according to Scripture, is eternity in hell. But God put on flesh. He became man, 100% God, 100% man and died on the cross for your sin, for my sin. I just want to 
challenge you, if you're here this morning and you're not really sure about where you stand with God, you you don't know for sure if you have a relationship with Him, it's just simply having a conversation with Him where you say, I... God, forgive me of my sin. I know I'm separated from you, but I'm believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. And I'm trusting in him alone. Please forgive me of my sin. The Bible tells us when we do that, I don't have time to get into it all, but I can show you if you ever want to have a conversation about it. Um, God forgives us of our sins. He places his Holy Spirit in us. God, the Holy Spirit, is placed in our lives. He adopts us into his family. We become part of his family. And he's there to provide for us, to protect us, to fight for us through this life as we do life his way. And then when we die, we get to spend eternity with him in heaven. He was making sure that happened all through life. And Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz got to be a part of that. It's just your conversation with God. And if you, you, know, if you have questions about it, you don't need me. To pray, you just need to have a conversation with God. And if you have questions about it, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. As the band comes up, let me just talk to you who have already made that decision. Because here's the deal. Um, you guys are pretty normal people, as, as I am, as, as normal as we can be. And so, I don't know everything going on in your lives, but I, I'll guarantee that because you're normal like me, there are areas of your life that you're frustrated, that you're irritated, People have frustrated you. Circumstances have frustrated you. You're not seeing how God's at work in this. You want to see God change somebody in your life or change your relationship that you have with somebody. It's just, oh, it's just so frustrating. Why doesn't things change? Listen, take the message of Ruth. That if you are, if you are willing to do the hard thing and make godly choices for your life, then God will do the work of the unseen work, in many cases, in the lives of other people in your life. I can never be responsible for how somebody else is going to respond. God doesn't ask me to be responsible for how other people respond. I'm only responsible for the choices I make. You're only responsible for the choices that you make. You'll never be able to change anybody in your life, but God can and just like these three in Ruth, if you do it his life, then his way, then he's he could use you to help change them. But you can't force it. You just gotta let God work his unseen plan, knowing that it's all good and he's gonna take care of it. So make the hard choice. Respond to whatever it is that you're facing that's frustrating you, person or circumstance, and say, I'm going to do it God's way in spite of what I think about it, in spite of what anybody else may think about it. If I don't know it, I'm going to find out how to do it. I'm going to talk to Harold about it. I'm going to talk to somebody else. I'm going to find out how I'm supposed to do it. I'm going to do the hard thing of doing it and let God take care of the results of that. Dave.